Well, good morning. Good to be here with you. This is tall. I need a platform shoes or something. Um, just a little bit about me. It's, it's so good to meet new brothers and sisters. Every once in a while, I've played bass here, so I've seen some of you. Um, I am one of your newer elders. I'm, I think I'm the newest one, so I have the privilege of serving you, praying for you constantly, working with Brad. Great guy. Uh, a little bit about my family. I have two boys. Uh, one lives here and one lives in Edmonton. I'm going to talk about them in a minute. And uh, <clears throat> just with my family dynamics, my wife passed away last year. So in my family, there's us three boy guys. And uh, of course, I'm the recent widower. My oldest son is going through a divorce, so he's kind of got a few dynamics going on. And my youngest son just got married six months ago, and I had the privilege of marrying him. So we got a widower, divorcee, and a newly married. And us guys, we talk about feelings in our home. So that's a little bit about who I am, and uh, I've got the privilege, I've known Glenn for a while, and uh, he's invited me, they're on the 25th wedding anniversary celebration weekend. That's something to celebrate, eh? Amen. Got our clicker here. Not talking about Galatians. I asked Glenn, what do I speak on? He said, oh, whatever you want. So the door is open to me. So I have a little story. Um, I have an annual trip, hunting trip, with my son in Edmonton, my oldest son, Caleb. And um, so this last year, I, I just came back a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we went, uh, the previous year, we, we ended up for lunch at one place called Pofield, Alberta. And we needed lunch. And so we went to the Moonshine Cafe in Towfield, Alberta. And as we're, t- we're in our camel gear, and the lady serving us, young gal, about my son's age, very cute, very thick bottle glasses on. We found out she's legally blind. But we were telling her that we were going hunting, and so she shows us a picture of the buck she got. A monster thing. I couldn't believe it. So this year, <clears throat> we went back to Tofield, Alberta, Moonshine Cafe, looking for this girl to see if she got another deer this year. Well, she wasn't working there anymore. Where do we find Erin? Well, I think she bought a place down the road in Riley. So, <clears throat> Caleb and I get in the vehicle, and we're going to go try and find this girl to see if she's got a buck this year. We did, the short story is we didn't find it, but we're driving through Riley, Alberta, <clears throat> And there's this sign, speed bump ahead. And then we drive. So Riley, it took a while to find it. It does does show up on Google Maps. 483 people live in Riley, Alberta. And I don't know if you can see the, the speed bump. I'll zoom in a little bit. There it is. So, whoops, how do I go back here? There's the sign, speed bump ahead. And there's the speed bump. It was, we drove past this thing and I said, Caleb, look at this thing. So we had to back up and take a picture of this thing because it's so laughable. It's like the speed bump is three feet wide in the middle of the road and everybody just drives past it anyway. So like, why do you have a sign speed bump ahead and nobody's going to even hit the thing? And I haven't been able to get this image out of my mind. And I started asking myself in the spiritual world, like, Are there warning signs that God is giving me that seem inconsequential? That there's no um, 
quick re, uh, repercussions to it. And as I'm thinking about, because Glenn said I can preach about anything I want, may as well talk about what God's speaking to my heart, right? And God is saying to my heart, Doug, are you, are you listening to the warning signs that I'm giving to you? And one of the passages that I've come across in my reading, and it just doesn't escape me, is from Hebrews 3, where it says, Do not harden your heart. And it's a reflection back to Psalm 95. Do not harden your heart like you did in the rebellion. And I'm saying, oh God, these are days that we're living in. I need a soft heart. If I've ever needed a soft heart, today is the day. And I think we as a church, as Christians in this culture, in Canada, if there ever was a day that we need to say to the Lord, oh, I, I want a soft heart. Soften my heart for the things of you. You know what I see in, the, in this church in Willow Park is there is a hunger to go deeper with the Lord. Amen? There, there's something that God is stirring within us that says, I want more. God, open your word to me. I want to make a difference for your kingdom in this culture, in this city that we live in, in this great land of Canada. And I think it's timely, um, just for sure in my own life, but just to be reminded, and we don't often talk about warning signs in the Bible, do we? We, um, I kind of fought God a little bit on this and said, well, I want to talk about something a little happy. Like, but here, this is where we're going, okay? So the Lord has put it on my heart at least, and he's speaking to me about this. So we're going to read together Psalm 95, and we're going to do it responsibly. I'll read the orange. You're going to read the blue, okay? Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Where your ancestors tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Let's bow together in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for the, for the word of God, which just speaks life and breath into our being. Thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit, which is present upon us in this place this morning. Thank you for the worship and the songs that we have been declaring to you. And Lord, you have stirred within us a hunger to go deeper with you. And so in these few moments that we have together, I ask that you would just open our eyes. We present to you a spirit that is willing to receive and a heart that is soft and contrite before you to follow in your ways. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
from Psalm 95, it, there are two areas of the Bible that it talks about. One is Massa and one is Meribah. And I thought, what happened there? What are they talking about? Because Psalm 95, Hebrews 3, the New Testament, Psalm 95, the Old Testament, David, they reflect back to something that happened at Meribah and Massa. What was that? What, what are they talking about where hearts went hard? And so to, to look at this, I'm, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus 17, and I'm just going to read seven verses from there. This is, this is for, and that's, well, I don't know if we actually know where these places are, but I've got a picture of the desert <laughs> out around there somewhere. This is maybe Massa. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, which wasn't because of Sin, but it was, traveling from the place that the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephah, and there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water! Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there and grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered to Moses, Walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Interesting account. This journey from Egypt to the Promised Land can be very typical kind of a prototype of our Christian walk, right? We're taken out of slavery. There's bondage. There's slave masters. We apply the blood to the doorposts of our house like they did for the Passover. We receive Jesus, the blood of his forgiveness. We go through the waters of baptism like they went through the Red Sea. They go through the wilderness, and where are they going? They're going to the promised land, to heaven. So in some ways, it's kind of a picture of our journey on this earth. Now, this account happened one month after the people walked through the Red Sea. The waters were parted. They were in the desert for one month, and this is what happened. They long to be back in Israel. Again, reflecting, saying, I kind of like bondage and slavery better than being out here because I'm thirsty. Where's God? You know, the, the need was real. I don't, the estimates, well over a million people, some, some estimates up to two and a half million people that came out of Egypt and were wandering around in the desert. And the Bible says not only were there all these people women, children, but there was livestock. So, you know, estimates today, if you Google search it, everybody needs about two liters of water a day to live. 
And you need water because you get rid of your waste products through urination. You sweat, which keeps you cool in a desert, which they kind of need. You need to, your body's 60% water, right? So you kind of need to rehydrate. And if you, if you get dehydrated, I don't know if any of you have been that way, but life, you can get grumpy when you're dehydrated. So I think God knew that the need was very real. In fact, God created us. He knew what he made us out of. And here are the people grumbling against the Lord. And the Lord has allowed this to happen to them. And the name Massa means testing. The people tested the Lord here. And then they asked this question, Is the Lord among us or not? Okay, so we're thousands of years later and we're standing on this little perch looking back at these people and saying, What are you guys thinking? Didn't you just see the plagues? Like, there were a bunch of these plagues and, like, darkness happened on the Egypt side, but you had light. Um... The firstborn of Egypt were all killed, but not yours. You Didn't you, like, walk through the red, like, I've tried to picture what that would be like. Like, was it walls of water, and you could see fish swimming on the side, and a shark, or I don't know. It's like snorkeling without having to snorkel with a snorkel. It would have been amazing, and to walk on dry ground. One month ago, this is what happened absolutely divine intervention from the Lord. And what do the people say? Is the Lord among us or not? I'm thirsty. I wonder if you and I ever do that. We look back and we say, oh, kind of like what it used to be before I knew Christ. How come, how come those who are unrighteous, how come they seem to prosper so much? How come they're the ones that are doing so well in business and I'm honoring God and doing what he's calling me to do and I'm thirsty. Where's God in this? How come he doesn't hear my prayers and answer me? And the Bible says, don't harden your heart like you did at Meribah. There was quarreling and there was testing of God. Hardness can come when we question our definition of what the goodness of God should look like in our lives, right? It comes as we start doubting God and His promises. Hebrews says, when it reflects on this passage, it says it was because of their unbelief. They didn't believe in God. Life seemed hopeless. The perspective was on the problem rather than on God. Do not harden your heart like you did. Then we have the second story. So there's Meribah. Here's another desert scene. Not high definition at, at all. And maybe that's a rock where Moses struck it and water came out. I don't know. Numbers 20. Let me just read a couple of verses because what we're doing, it's the same thing that happens again. Different place. The people were thirsty. They were reflecting back to their time in Egypt. But, this is interesting, because now 40 years have gone by. So the first time this happened, it was one month after going through. Now it's 40 years later. Identical situation. The people are thirsty. 
God had intervened. He'd carried them for 40 years. They started grumbling again to the Lord. So what happened? We pick it up from 12, Numbers 20. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you, oh, what happened? This time God told Moses, speak to the rock and water will come out. So what Moses did was he said, you grumbling bunch of people, I'm going to show you the Lord. And then he struck the rock twice with his staff, which wasn't what God told him to do. God told him to speak to the rock. Water still came out. And then these are the words. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I gave them. These were the waters of Meribah where the Israelites quarreled with God and where God, where he showed himself holy among them. The name Meribah means quarreling. So one place is called testing and one place is called quarreling. Does that, I don't know if it bothers you like it bothers me, but God seems a little harsh with Moses there. Like if there ever was a guy that honored God, I mean, he was up on the mountain, he got the Ten Commandments, he'd come down off the mountain, his face is glowing, and the people are saying, Moses, uh, put something over that thing. We can't even look at your face. You're radiating too much of the glory of God. The Bible says, Moses was one who spoke to God and God to him like they were, like you and I would, face to face. Something happened in even Moses' heart where he struck a rock instead of speaking to it and following the Lord. And the Bible says, do not harden your hearts like you did at Meribah and Massah. Oh, Lord. There's the background to Psalm 95 and also the same passage is found in Hebrews 3. And as we talk about a soft heart, you know, I, I also thought of the passage. It comes from Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful, follow my laws, to keep my laws. So why? Here's a question I had. Wrestle together with me if you want. If that's the promise of the prophets to say, I'm going to give you a new spirit, how come we have the same passage in Hebrews, which is a New Testament, so the spirit of God has been poured out at Pentecost, years later Hebrews is written, Hebrews looks back to the Old Testament, which says also do not harden your heart. What is going on here and how do we understand this? I'm just a guy, I'm going to give you my understanding We are body, soul, and spirit. The body is the physical part of who we are, right? It's what we look like, the voice that we project, um, our actions, it's where our feet take us, what our hands do, what we say, what we allow in with our eyes. Our soul is our will, our emotions, that inner part of us that processes stuff. And then we have our spirit, which is the eternal. And that is the part that is rebirthed. 
So we have a physical birth, and when we become a Christian, it's our spirit that becomes alive. And so we have to ask the question in life, how does the hard heart happen? And here's how I understand it. It's what you and I allow to direct our lives. Will we allow the appetites of our body to direct how we live, right? That's where a lot of sexual sin happens, right? Because you're not always thinking with your head, certainly not your spirit. So your body acts and your spirit kind of gets dragged along with it. It, like, if I say the word chocolate, all of a sudden some of us, our mouths are going to water, right? And Like, how does this happen? All we have to do is say chocolate, and then our body craves something, and we're going to go out the door after church, and we're going to go to the store somewhere, buy a chocolate bar. Like, our appetites can direct what we do in life, right? And so as Christians, we have to say, what is the part of who I am this complex and wonderful being that God made, what is being directed, where does the soft heart come in? And we know, don't we? It's the spirit. If we are 100% surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and we know what it's like to have our spirit reborn, that we have been given eternal life, that is the part that needs to put the others into subjection, right? Right? That is the part that leads us. And if we don't have a soft heart, if we harden our heart to the words of the Lord, or we just kind of make excuses and push that off, that's what slowly erodes and gives us a harder heart to the things of the Spirit. And so what we ask for, and what I'm asking God, give me a soft heart, help me to be so pliable to the things of your spirit because that's where life is and that's where eternity is and that's the stuff that makes a difference for us. Amen? So, there we go. I was told football starts at what, 2.30? So cut her off before then. Just kidding. Uh, I love this passage of scripture. (laughs) Let's read this together, okay? May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Once again, we have this complex body, soul, and spirit. And the call is to have it sanctified, to allow the blood of Jesus to wash over every part and to be led by the Spirit. So, the question for us this morning, the question certainly for myself is, how do I present to God a soft heart? What does that look like? If I were to just kind of latch on to a few things, I've got five thoughts for us. Oh, look, there's Riley, Alberta. 484 people that live there with their speed bump. Um, verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Find something to praise the Lord for. I had a tough week at work. I, I do hazardous removals. Our company gets rid of asbestos, mold, lead paint, trauma cleanup, all kinds of stuff. We have a return client, and 
there were some outstanding little jobs. Our crews are so busy. I had to put on the outfit and the mask. And I went three times to this one place to finish up just this little job. I bent over backwards for this client to try and get it done. And I couldn't get it done because I was waiting on subtrades. He was supposed to be arranging. So it's kind of out of my control. Then I did another job for the same client. And then I went to their office. And I was all happy thinking, they're going to just thank me for just going out of my way and being such a wonderful service provider. I sat down in his office and he looked me in the eye. He said, Doug, I hate using you. I don't want to use you. I never have wanted to use you, but I was told to use you. That was a sucker punch. Like, uh, how, God, I, I put on the good game face. And I thought, okay, I'm trying to understand where this guy is coming from. He's got a lot of details that need to take care of. He doesn't need these little things that I'm presenting to him. Fair enough. But I go home, I get in my truck, and oh, God, I don't need this. I'm preaching Sunday. I thought I was going way out of my way. I'm... I'm happy before I get there and then I get slammed with this. And some, of, some of you have had way worse days than that. But that one took the wind out of my sails a little bit. And then what can happen? God, every day I'm praying for wisdom and favor from you. Is this how you show it? Like, I'm going out of my way to do this. Hopefully he's seeing the life of Christ in me and he tells me he doesn't even want to use me. So, I'm preaching on something this weekend, and i got to praise God for something. It is hard, people, sometimes, when you're in the midst of these questions, where's the water? Sometimes all I can do, people, is say, praise you, Jesus, hallelujah, praise you, Jesus, hallelujah. And then I said, okay, God, my rock-solid number one characteristic about you is you are sovereign. You are in control. There's nothing that gets past your throne. You have allowed this to happen. Make something good out of this. People, I think there's if, if we don't praise God, especially when things just start getting a little different than how we expect, that can be the beginnings of a hard heart. And we need to present a soft heart to God and praise Him. David was a man after God's heart. He, he duked it out with the Lord pretty good, didn't he? He was able, for a guy, to express emotion. But at the end of the day, he always said, yet, what does he say? Yet will I praise you. Yeah, so we can be real, but at the end of the day, we've got to find something to praise God for no matter what we're walking through. Uh, respond to the promptings. Today. As long as it's called today. Today, if you hear his voice. There's something about responding right in the moment. I wonder how often we live with good intentions in our Christian life, right? It's not that we've said no to God, but it's kind of like a not yet God. I've, I've got a few things I want to accomplish in life, and then I will surrender this part of my life to you. You know, it's... I think that's the beginning of getting a hard heart to the things of God, because when he prompts us, we need to respond immediately to it. 
I'll follow you, God, when the timing is just a little bit better in my life. Or I can be the king of rationalization and justification when it comes to sin. And maybe some of us are caught in that. And we say stuff like, well, wouldn't God want me to be happy even though knowing it is so wrong? I mean, if we're real. What if I look stupid doing what God asked me to do? I don't know if you ever thought of that. Once again, a soft heart can slowly erode and become hard when we don't respond immediately. I, um, one of the jobs I was at just last week, this poor lady, um, there was a plumber that was up in her roof. She's a renter, so the owner lived in Vancouver. This renter has just been in this house four months. A plumber was up in the attic doing something. He fell through the ceiling. And so there's this big gaping hole in her master bedroom. But the problem is it had vermiculite in the attic, which is asbestos containing. So it's hazardous, so in comes me. So this poor lady, she, like, and I start talking to her and just telling her, you know, probably here's the procedure. And then she says, ah, oh, and she starts crying. And so I think, you know, I think there's a little bit more going on here. So I ask, and sure enough, her mom had just passed away. And then she had kind of a second mom because she didn't live at home all the time. And so her second mom passed away. And then she just went through a recent divorce. And now a plumber fell through her ceiling. And the problem is you can't clean any soft contents from asbestos. You've got to chuck it out. She had no contents insurance. This poor gal. So I had a prompting. Doug, pray for her. Here's my little conversation with God. Okay, I'll pray for her when I get out in the truck. No, pray for her now. Okay, in my heart I start with God. Do it. And no, pray out loud. What do you do? It's a prompting of God. Do I harden my heart and say, well, not this time, Lord. I might look stupid. So I said, okay. So I looked her in the eye and I said, would it be okay if I pray for you? She said, yeah, I'd like that. Okay, um, is it okay if I just put my hand on you and pray for you? She said, yeah, that's okay. So we're in her kitchen. I'm about to pray, and then I think, oh no. I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. Is that going to be offensive to her? Like, I don't know where she's coming from in life. So I stop, I say, okay, um, is it okay if I pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ? And she said, yeah. I prayed for her in the name of Jesus Christ. People, you and I are in those kind of situations and we walk in obedience, don't we? We respond to those promptings. I don't know what the result of that is. You do not know the result of what you have done when you have responded to the promptings of God. But... You're walking with softness of heart. You're not hardening your heart to the things that God is asking you to do. And that is what he's looking for. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. There's some immediacy about that that comes from the scriptures. Believe his promises are for me. 
again, it was based on unbelief when we look at those two passages, Psalm 95. Um, somehow the people had the promise of God. He was going to bring them into the promised land, but they didn't believe. There, there was some unbelief going on. Over the years, just with what I've gone through in life, I've claimed 89 promises. I've taken a blue pen, I've underlined them in my Bible, I've written claimed, and then I've written the date on there. Then this last year, what I've done is I have printed all of those out and then written out what was happening on that day. I've got 12 pages of notes that I want to give to my kids based on 89 promises that I have claimed for me and my family. The promises of God are for you and me. I haven't seen them all come true. And so I have to keep praying them. And here's the thing, people, and may I encourage you with this. I think most of us here would say, yes, the promises of God are true. They are yes and amen in Jesus. The Bible is absolutely profound in that. But here's what you and I sometimes do. is we say, those promises are true. God is true to his word but I don't know if they apply to me. Have you ever in the quietness of your mind thought those things? People, I'm here to tell you those promises are for you. They are yes and amen. You are not disqualified because of something that's happened in your past. The promises of God are for you and for me. And we need to walk in belief, especially in the times of this world that we are in. Review God's track record. It says, though they had seen what I did. The Israelites saw God move in miraculous ways. And I think each of us, if we take the time, we can look back in our life and say, God, you intervened so amazingly in my life. Here, here, here. I remember a time we were completely out of groceries. We had nothing, nothing. And we had company coming over. And we prayed and... Twelve bags of groceries showed up on our doorstep. I have no idea to this day how that happened. God intervened. And so what happens? When we're thirsty, when we're saying, where's God in this? God, are you with me or not? We have to go back and say, God, you've been so faithful. You have come through for me here, here, and here. You are going to come through with me. And we get caught up in the temporal, and we forget what God has done in the past. But people, a soft heart comes as we say, God, you've been so good to me. You will continue to be good to me and you will lead me and guide me in your truth. Finally, follow his ways no matter how hard. A couple of weeks ago, we had Brother Yun speak at the 33 and I am so moved. But You know the most power, he spoke Saturday night and Sunday, the most powerful time of that whole weekend was five minutes, not even for me. In the prayer room before the service start, Brother Yun comes in, we're praying, he comes in, he falls to his knees and he starts praying. He's crying out to the Lord. I was so moved in my spirit. Here's a man who's gone through so much. He has got such a humble heart before the Lord. And I don't know if you remember, but he said there's five things. When they have pastors that they train, five things, here they are. You gotta pray, number one. You gotta preach the word. Know that you'll experience pain. Prepare for death. And fifthly, learn when to escape so you can preach another day. 
That's how their pastors are trained. There's something a little bit difficult of what's going on in China. But do you know that they're... This is what he said, and I, I only tell you the, what he said. It's so hard for me to believe. A million people a week are coming to the Lord in China. They are walking through incredible difficulties, and yet God's kingdom is expanding, and they are the ones that are teaching me. Maybe we can walk through a little bit of pain, and it might be good for us because it drops us to our knees, and it says we trust God, and I'm going to offer him a soft heart instead of resisting him and saying, God, poor me, why are you doing this to me? Maybe there's something bigger at stake. And like that speed bump in Riley, Alberta, the protection wasn't only for me to not hit this three foot wide, like if I tried speed bump. It's because there's a playground there. People are at stake. If I go blasting through there, I might hit somebody. There's a bigger picture involved here that God is talking to our hearts about. Today, if you hear his voice, people were living in a post-Christian age. This world that we live in is just not what it was when I was a kid. We can't pray in school anymore. I've heard that in places across Canada, if you're a Christian organization, you can't even rent a public facility. You know what's happening in the schools, the difficulty that's happening just with the training of our children. We live in a time when we need divine intervention of God. Where we as a church come together in unity, brokenness and contriteness of heart because there's a bigger picture ahead. And I, I believe we're just in store for such an amazing time because the hunger is here and we need to respond. And I think the start of it is just with a soft heart to the things of God. Not to look at other people and say, God, but say, God. And we drop to our knees like Brother Young. Start with me. Give me a soft heart, Lord. And there may be some this morning. You're not yet a Christian and you've heard the voice of God. Today, if you hear his voice, why not enter into eternal life? There may be some here that are struggling like I did for so many years, surrendering 100% to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I, I surrendered 99.5% to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But I tell you that 0.5% made all the difference when I fell on my knees and said, you got it all. Today, if you hear his voice, why not give it all? Jesus is Savior and he's Lord. Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm wondering if some, some of us are just caught in a sin and we just seem like there's no way out. And God is speaking to our hearts so gently. It's his kindness that leads to repentance. And maybe there's just this call upon your heart. It's usually a very small, gentle voice, but you just can't shake it. You know what I mean? Today, if you hear his voice, why not repent? Drop to your knees. Turn 180 degrees around from that and follow the Lord. Maybe the Lord is calling you to step out and do something in ministry. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. So I'm going to call the worship team to come forward. Um, I want to pray with us just as they come up here. Father God, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for what you're teaching me in life.
And Lord, my desire is just to have a softer heart to the things of you, to respond so quickly, to take your promises at face value, to trust you for the good things that you have in life, Lord, for looking at your track record and the way that you have intervened in so many ways in my lives and in the testimonies that I hear around me. Lord, we want to follow your ways. We are your people. You have called us by name. You love us. You've got a hope and eternal destiny for us. You've got riches beyond understanding when we get to see you face to face in heaven. And until that day, Lord, we want to serve your kingdom. We want to see people come into your kingdom. We want to see Kelowna have an encounter with the living Jesus Christ. Drop your Holy Spirit upon us in fresh ways because we have a heart that we are presenting to you soft and pliable in your hands. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen.